you're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Foundations. Hello my radio friends. Welcome to the program today. Australia is a relatively newly settled country by Europeans, that is. Of course, the Australian Aborigines have been in this country for a much longer time and they knew how to live in this land of extremes. Italy, on the other hand, has a long recorded history as any visitor can see by simply looking at some of the ancient buildings. In 2017, my wife and I visited Italy and saw buildings that had been in existence for a thousand years or more. The Leaning Tower of Pisa is a major tourist attraction because of its unique lean from the vertical. By the way, Pisa is spelt P-I-S-A and not P-I-Z-Z-A. It was just one little miscalculation that caused the 14,500-tonne tower to lean. Construction of the new bell tower in Pisa, Italy, began in 1173 AD. It stood upright for over five years, but when the third floor was completed in 1178, it began to lean. Italians were shocked by the event. It wasn't supposed to lean. The thing is, the foundation of the tower, which is only three metres deep, was built on a dense clay mixture. The clay was not strong enough to hold the tower upright. As a result, the weight of the tower began to diffuse downward until it found the weakest point. Due to this problem, construction work stopped for 100 years. The government decided to focus on its war with Genoa and hoped that the soil would settle in the meantime. Mistake after mistake. After another 100 years, engineer Giovanni di Simone stepped forward and started to add more floors to the tower. He tried to compensate for the original lean by making one side of the upper floors taller than the other. This only caused the tower to lean even more. Unconcerned by the leaning, the tower was added a seventh floor in the second part of the 14th century, including the bell tower, and then the tower was left on its own until the 19th century. Gradually the tower kept leaning until it was five and a half degrees off the vertical. In 1990 it was close to the public and repairs were begun to the foundations, bringing it back to 3.9 degrees off the vertical. Cables were attached, pulling it back toward the north and the foundations on the south side were stabilised. The project took 10 years to complete at a cost of almost 50 million Australian dollars. So why all the trouble, loss and expense? Well, the foundations were faulty. 
the Tower of Pisa, is probably one of the best-known examples of faulty foundations, although many other buildings have suffered because of poor foundations too. So what applies to buildings and engineering also applies to many other fields, including what we believe. The Bible is full of warnings about people who deceive their hearers. They are called deceivers, false prophets, and false Christs. They claim to have truth and special spiritual insights, yet they lead people astray. And don't think for a moment that those who follow these false teachers are only simpletons. Some are highly educated people who are influenced by sensationalism, ego-boosting, special knowledge, and the possibility of becoming prosperous. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24 and verse 24, Jesus uttered a warning that applies to his followers at all times. He said, For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. Now this is a pretty strong statement. It says even the most staunch and committed Christians may be sucked in by clever deceptions. So watch out. So how may someone who sincerely follows the Lord not be deceived? The answer relates to the foundations upon which that person's faith is built. I want to say that if your faith is based on feelings, that is a very poor foundation for what you believe. I know in many churches there is a lot of music designed to stir up people's feelings, to make them feel good, so that they want to sing, shout or even dance, sometimes laugh and bark like dogs. Then comes the sermon where the preacher may resort to putting on a good show. These sorts of churches are full because people get a high by simply going there. But my friends, such a church is not for me. Feelings are no gauge nor guarantee of spirituality. Jesus explained what true spirituality is and how we, as his followers, should order our lives. In Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49, he told a short but important parable. And here are the words of Jesus. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment a torrent struck 
that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. Putting the words of Jesus into practice simply means to obey. So how did Jesus define the foundation allowing someone not to be deceived by those false Christs and false prophets? He said, He is someone who hears my words and puts them into practice. What words was Jesus talking about? He was referring to his own teaching and, in a wider sense, the Word of God. Jesus was God and what he said is recorded in the Bible. He often referred to the rest of the scriptures and quoted from them and never, ever contradicted what was written beforehand. You see, the only safeguard to having a sure foundation for our faith is God's Word, the Bible. It is well known that different religious groups have different bases for their faith. Some base their faith on tradition only. Some, like the Roman Catholics, have a mixture of tradition and the Bible, although they claim that their traditions hold more importance than the Bible. Some, like the Pentecostals, base their faith on what they claim is the revelation of the Holy Spirit plus the Bible. Although, if the so-called Spirit reveals something that does not agree with what the Bible says, they normally give the Word of God the lower priority. Then there are those who base their faith on the Word of God only. In Latin, that is known as sola scriptura. So what did Jesus advocate? Well, it was the latter, sola scriptura. There is a foundation text in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, that says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So does that mean that the rest of the Bible isn't necessary? Does it mean that all someone needs to do is believe in Jesus and the salvation he gives, and that's it? Yes, it's true there is no way to be saved other than through Jesus. He is our Saviour. He came to save us from our sins. However, there is more to be understood, just as the Apostle Paul instructed the young minister Timothy, as recorded in 2 Timothy 2.15. He said, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then a little later in his letter to Timothy, Paul said, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It is short-sighted, and quite foolish to dismiss the rest of the Bible and only 
focus on Jesus. If we only need to focus on Jesus, then was God so dumb to give us the whole Bible if there's no need for anything else apart from the gospel of salvation? The Apostle Paul said we should study. We are to know what the Bible says and don't just cherry-pick, focusing only on the bits that might appeal to you. Cherry-picking will lead to a very restricted understanding of the riches of the whole scriptures. One of my favourite authors, E.G. White, in that beautiful book, Messages to Young People, in writing about last-time events, had this to say, Only those who have been diligent students of the scriptures and who have received the love of the truth will be shielded from the powerful delusion that takes the world captive. You need to know what the Bible teaches for yourself, or you might be easily misled. It is more important to know what God's Word teaches than to listen to a sermon. Now, we're going to stop here and have a break and go on straight afterwards. I've seen the rock of ages and he's living with us still And he promised to forgive us when he died upon the hill Every day my hopes grow dearer to be blessed with him someday And I know that day is coming when I hear my Savior say Come unto me, come unto me, reach up and touch your Savior's face Come unto me, come unto me, for you have known my saving grace He shall call his children home again someday. Will you stand before God's judgment when old Satan meets his doom? Will you be prepared, my brother, when there's blood upon the moon? For these days will soon be over and we'll face eternity. You must heed the voices calling, saying, Now come unto me. Come unto me, come unto me, reach up and touch your Savior's face. Come unto me, come unto me, for you have known my saving grace. We'll rise above, we'll rise above the only foes of Jesus' love. When he shall call his children home again someday. When he shall call his children home again someday. to share with you a major concern I have, and that is that there are many people who go to church who hardly ever open their Bibles. 
Ask them to find a text in, say, the book of Habakkuk, for example, and many wouldn't have a clue where to find it. If you don't know what the primary source of information has to say, how can you know whether what you hear from other sources is true or not? I recently watched some YouTube footage of a rich and popular charismatic minister in Texas, United States, preaching what is known as the prosperity gospel to a large church congregation. Yes, he held a Bible in his hand as he was preaching. But unless anyone who listened to him knew what the Word of God says, they wouldn't know whether they were hearing truth or not. This preacher spoke about Abel, Adam's second son. The preacher said Abel was wicked and sinful. But Abel was nothing of the sort. Abel was faithful to God and did what God expected of him. It was his brother Cain who was the wicked one and killed his own brother for doing what was right. In that preacher's sermon there were other mistakes where plain statements from the Bible were grossly misused. My dear friends, I cannot express enough the distaste I have for preachers, ministers, pastors and priests who do not teach what God's Word says or who put meanings there that are not intended. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20 condemns such people. God's Word says here to the law and to the testimony if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Let your foundation for what you believe, your foundation for life, be God's word, the Bible. If you live and believe according to what it says, you will know what is truth. The Apostle Paul, in several of his letters to the churches in Asia Minor, wrote about people being misled by false teachings. In Galatians chapter 2 and the first verse, Paul exclaimed, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? And then, writing to another church, this one at Ephesus, he encouraged those believers by telling them, Now therefore... You are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And that's from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. If you can picture a building constructed of stone walls, the cornerstone is the main one from which all measurements are taken. But there are other stones in the building, here mentioned as apostles and prophets. What God inspired them to write is also included in the Bible. In writing to Christian believers, the Apostle Paul gave this instruction. Sorry, the Apostle Peter gave this instruction. He said, always be prepared to give an answer to 
everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. The important thing that needs to be highlighted from this verse is preparedness. To be prepared to write an exam in some subject or other means that you've studied the material you were supposed to learn. And the same goes for our faith and hope. We need to be familiar with the Word of God and to know what its teachings really are. Now, consider this. What would your reaction be if a majestic, bright, heavenly-looking being clothed in white, accompanied with thousands of other similar-looking beings, suddenly showed up in a place like New York, Jerusalem or Sydney and announced he was Jesus who'd come back from God to the earth to set up an eternal kingdom of peace. How would you react if he said that anyone who bowed down and worshipped him would be healed of any disease or physical ailment they had. And if you were watching all this on television and saw hundreds of people healed, it would be pretty convincing, wouldn't it? And what would you think that if that being praised the Pope for all his efforts to bring about unity among the peoples of the earth and commended him for putting in place a different day of worship in remembrance of Christ's resurrection on the first day of the week. And would it move you to hear him say that evolution was the path to enlightenment and that the myth of creation was there only to teach morality and the difference between right and wrong? Would you rejoice when he announced that the idea of a devil called Satan is a mere figment of people's imagination. And what about if he, in beautiful tones of voice, said that it was true that that stuffy old law, the Ten Commandments, had been abolished at Calvary, and instead a new covenant of love had been established, would that impress you? And how would you feel if he announced that there was in existence a small group of Bible-believing people who hadn't advanced with the times and they needed to be eliminated because they were hindering world peace by adhering to outdated ideas and principles? And if you witnessed the gathered crowds rejoicing and shouting Alleluia and praising this apparently heavenly being and the aura of joy they were experiencing, you could be very well convinced that the said being was in fact Jesus. But the Bible has clear statements about the second coming of Jesus and they describe his coming much more differently than that. This program, my friends, is about foundations. Foundations for what we believe. 
Faced with a scenario like what I've just described, here is a challenge for you, so listen carefully. And it's the quote that I referred to earlier in the program. Only those who have been diligent students of the Scriptures and who have received the love of the truth will be shielded from the powerful delusion that takes the world captive. It is so important to have some definitive statement of truth by which to measure all the teachings, philosophies and information that clamour for attention in the world today. That definitive statement should be the foundation of our lives and beliefs. So what is it then that should define our beliefs and practices? Well, the answer is simple. It is God's holy word, the Bible. Now here's a question. What are you doing with your Bible? I want to invite you, if you need help in understanding your Bible, why don't you contact our producer Nick on 0401 305 077 or call or email the station. So that's it for today. If you want to know your Bibles better, call Nick or call the station and we will try to arrange someone to come and help you. Thank you.